Thank you, Pastor Dennis. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Tell you what, there's a, a lot of passages that you could preach from on Father's Day. And uh, I think the fact that God is our Father, the, the whole Bible is, is open on that one. Mm -hmm. If I had my choice and I could just uh, just cherry pick a theme for the day, yeah, I could, I could choose uh, you know a psalm or, or a proverb or or something from the New Testament where Jesus is interacting with the Father and praying with the Father, and th th those would be some easier, nice and simple passages. But the one that the Lord has led us to this Sunday just so happens to tie in well with God's provision, with God's fatherhood in our Names of God series, we'll see how God provides today. But the passage that Pastor Dennis just read is one of the most difficult passages to work through in the entire Bible. At least from the world's perspective, this is one that makes no sense at all. It actually is used for evidence to the contrary that God cannot be trusted. God does not provide. He's not a loving father. See, case in point, Genesis 22. And when you encounter someone or we even wrestle with those emotions ourselves, how can this be that God calls Abraham to do something so difficult, so terrible? How, how can God possibly be good in that? That shows us our own need to go deeper in, to truly understand what God is doing here, to let God reveal himself, because we've said from the beginning, we want to know God, don't we? We want to know God. We want to know him by knowing his names and how he introduces himself. And one of the most important names in the Bible, who God reveals himself to be, every single one who reveals himself to be is important, but he reveals himself through Abraham in this scenario, to be Yahweh Jireh. The Lord provides. The Lord is provider. The Lord sees. So that's why last week it was so important to understand that God is Yahweh. He who is the self-existent eternal one who delivers his people Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery and out of captivity. He's a God of freedom. He's a God of life. He's a God of love who calls his people into relationship. And here, whew, he calls Abraham to slaughter his son. The text. Abraham obeys, trusts God, and shows us deep faith. He commits, I'm going to go all the way, I'm going to sacrifice my son, and we'll see why he was willing to go that route and what he believed about God. But when he does that, God sees, and God justifies his faith. He says, You were willing to give up your most precious son. Don't do it. There's a test. Then he provides a substitute. Here's a ring. Caught, just so happened to be caught in a bush over to the side. No one noticed it before. But now we see God provides. And through this, God is actually glorified. We see the beauty of God in his character. We shouldn't run from him and, and, and say, what a mean, cruel God. We should fall down and worship. So the main point for this morning as we dive into this passage is that active faith exhibits God's power to provide. Faith shows how God provides. When we empty ourselves of our plans and our dreams and our desire, and, and the way I summarize this is point number one, going with God requires faith. You can't step out and you can't walk with God unless you're willing to move from where you are to where God is. Now, for context, who is Abraham? He's a man that God called out of Ur, out of the Chaldees, out of his homeland, and said, I'm leading you to a new land. 
place that I've prepared for you. I want to do something amazing for you and your family. It's the land of Canaan, which is later referred to as the land of Israel. Once the Israelites came in and, and, uh, and conquested with, with Joshua. Is that a word? Conquested? There was the conquest, right? The conquest of the land. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Uh, conquered. There we go. And God called Abraham and Sarah to walk by faith to a place that they had not seen before. Maybe you've been in a similar situation. God called me to a place I've never lived before. I don't know anyone here. Uh, starting a life from scratch. And, but, but as clearly as Abraham heard God speak, you know you're supposed to be here or, or maybe in a place in the past where you were. I'm walking by faith, God. I'm trusting you. Well, here's another thing God promised Abraham. Abraham, you are going to have a son. And through your line, through this inheritance, you will have descendants that number as the stars. Outnumber the stars, actually. And through you, I'm going to bless all of the nations. God's making a lot of sweet promises to Abraham. Here's the problem, though. God didn't fulfill those promises at that moment. It wasn't a drive-through prophecy. You know, hey, get some checkers after, after, after worship today. You order it, you pick it up, you pay for it, and you go. Abraham had to wait more than 25 years to see this child come to be. You know how old, how old he is at this point in time? 100 years old. 100 years old. Let that sink in. And how old is Sarah? 90? Thereabouts? Have you ever seen a 90-year-old woman give birth to a baby? I don't, I don't, I don't know that you want to, okay? This is, this is straight up miraculous. And, and God preserved her life too. It's amazing. So they've been waiting all these years. They finally have the promise fulfilled. A son is born. His name is Isaac. And yes, there's another son named Ishmael. And there's a whole mess that Abraham and Sarah made because they didn't trust God perfectly. She's a good reminder that God does not demand perfect faith. Sincere, humble, wanting to follow God's faith, repentant faith. But here they have a son. His name Isaac means he laughs. And and it's just like, how funny is it that in our age, we have a child of God? Like, this is crazy. And through him, there's celebration. And you can just imagine, after this big, long waiting period, and now they have a son, they finally breathe a little bit. Relax, and I'm through the trial. I'm through the waiting. This is great, and now we get to see our son grow up, and we'll we'll grow old watching him grow up. Just kidding, they're already old, and but they'll still get to watch him grow up a little bit. But then, Genesis 22 verse one, the Lord tested Abraham. Don't you just hate that when God does that? God, I just went through a test. Just went through a trial yesterday, as a matter of fact. Why do you got to test me again today? It's because it's a relationship we want with God, right? We don't want to just know his name and keep going with our life. We want to know him and get closer to him. In order to get closer with God, you've got to have faith. I don't know that I have the faith that Abraham has, but I do know a principle about walking with someone in a relationship means you have to move from where you are to where he is. So he tests Abraham and he speaks to him. Abraham, Abraham says, here I am, which I love. Just in the morning, it's a new day. God, here I am. What do you have for me? He's just, he's willing, he's responsive, speaking with God. He's grateful for this relationship. He's going to go where God is. And then God asks him to make the biggest adjustment of his life. 
Take your son, your only son, whom you love. We're really dragging this out, aren't we? And offer him there as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah, the mount where I will show you. Oh my goodness. That is it. His only son. My only heir. My future. My retirement. All the promises of God. I mean, I'm literally hinging on this son, and he's my only son. Yeah, I'm sitting across from my son yesterday, and um, he was yesterday, and, and he's, he's reading that. He can read a whole chapter of the Bible. And so we're reading a chapter together, and he's asking questions, and I'm talking with him, and, and just that dependence that the child has on the father for, for questions and for understanding, and you know, teach me how to work, and teach me how to live. And now you're going to take your son, who you're supposed to protect and provide for, and slaughter him like an animal. Well, I think I know what I would say to God where I'd be put in this situation. And that's probably why God didn't ask me to do this. And probably why he hasn't asked you to do this either. But he asked Abraham the unthinkable. And what does Abraham do? He gets up in the morning and he prepares his donkey and off they go. It's just... It's another day to walk with God. And let's see what God will do through this. Because here's the thing about Abraham. He already knows a lot about God. He knows how God has revealed himself in the past. Is God a cruel God? Is God a hateful God? Does he do things for absolutely no reason at all? Does he have the power of life and death? Is he creator? Abraham knows these things because God's already revealed himself to him in those ways. And Abraham trusts down deep in his heart that God is loving, kind, and gracious. So, okay, we are going to go. We are going to do this. But then he tells his servants in verse 5, you wait here. My son and I, we are going to go and worship him. Still believe God is worthy of worship. We're going to worship him. And then what will we do? We will return to you. So Abraham is committed. I will slay my son. But he firmly believes that the both of them will come back together. That's incredible faith. And, and Hebrews 11, 19, make sure um, we understand exactly what is going through Abraham's mind. So pardon me, I'm going to put a, uh, put a bookmark there. Hebrews 11, 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believes in the resurrection. This is before Jesus. Long, long, long before. This is before Ezekiel seeing the vision of the valley of dry bones being raised up. Abraham has that much faith just on the little bit he knows about God without having the full canon of scripture that you and I do. And yet, do you and I have an ounce of that kind of faith with the full revelation of God's story? Oh my goodness. Now this isn't meant to guilt all of us and oh, I can't believe you don't have that kind of faith. There's a reason God puts this story in here and I think it's important for all of us to know we all make sacrifices in our walk with the Lord. We have to be willing to give up something in order to go with God. It's our time. It's our resources. It's our family. It's our home. 
future. It's our eternal future. It's all wrapped up in God. When we come to Jesus, we lay down our life and our plans, and we go. Just like Abraham went, we go. Fully confident that God will restore and heal and resurrect and guide us safely home. But what does Abraham do? He takes the wood, takes the wood of the burnt offering, and he lays it on Isaac, his son. So you picture the wood on his back, right? So, so Isaac is not this little itty-bitty toddler. Right? We need to make sure we're, we're capable of that. Okay, so he's probably not fully grown, 20-something, says he's a young man. And the way that he addresses his father, you know, hey, my father, where's the lamb for the offering? So I don't know, maybe maybe middle school, you know, maybe teenage. That's kind of, that's a sweet spot right there. So it's important to know that, that Isaac is not just some helpless little toddler. Like, is this child sacrifice? Didn't God forbid that against the false gods? And that's a wicked practice. That's not what is happening here. Isaac can have a conversation with his his dad, and he figures out what's going to happen. And he's also strong enough and capable enough to carry the wood. So they go up. Isaac says to his father, Father. And he says, Here I am, my son. Come to your heart straight. Like back and forth. My father, my son, my only son. Says, Behold the fire and the wood, Dad, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham says, God will provide. He will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Okay. And they keep walking. You can just imagine what's going on in Abraham's heart as they go up that mountain for the sacrifice. Why does God test Abraham this way? Like I said, he doesn't test all of us that way, thankfully. But I think in general, it's safe to say when God tests someone, based on what we're seeing in this passage, it is because testing reveals what's going on in the heart. Kind of like when you, you went to the DMV for your road test to become a driver. Every teenager thinks they can drive. Then they go to the class, and they, they do their studies, they watch the videos, and uh, um, you know, they do the, the class assignments, and the president, and then they get to the DMV, and the road test is to evaluate, can you actually drive this big piece of metal without cutting someone off at the knees on the sidewalk? Okay, that's really what I'm, can you get me safely from point A to point B? If you can, you are a driver, and here's your license. But if you cannot, we are not just going to give you a license and the open road and say, have at it. There are a lot of legal drivers in Florida, so I will say, watch your back, drive carefully. But the way you should do it is to go through the process to make sure that, that we are safe on the roads. But God tests us as believers so that our families, so that our servants, servants so let's just say our neighbors can see that there is something real and personal in our life in our dependence with god he is real he is our father it's a personal relationship and what he says to do we believe is truly best for us so we do it even if we don't know where this is going to lead the fact that you're here in north sarasota maybe this is your step of faith you don't know where this is going to go but you want to go with god takes faith and it's going to take tests and it might be a test after a test after a test 
And it sickens me what some people have, have cheapened Christianity to be today. It's just a relationship. So you don't actually have to do anything to be a Christian. Uh, you don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to go to church. Uh, you don't have to uh, what repent of anything or sacrifice anything. You can pursue your dreams and your goals. And oh, Hold on. Is that what the Bible defines as a life of faith? Or is that how we kind of Americanize Christianity? Because it actually works really well with what the culture wants us to do. Leave your faith at home, and when you come out in public, just fit in like everybody else. I can't, because God has changed my heart and revealed himself to me, and I must be devoted to him, no matter the cost, no matter the loss. It is a relationship. And Abraham gets up to the top of that mountain with Isaac, and he binds him up. I don't think that's because Isaac was running away. That's just what you did with your sacrifice on the altar. You bind him, you lay him on here, and he raises up the knife to slaughter his son. All of his hopes and dreams are planted. His love, his heart is bound up with his son right there. You know what this made me think of? Luke chapter 2, verse 7. When the Son of God is born of a virgin and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. The love of the Father, the glory of God, the fullness of God, wrapped up and laid there in a dangerous world with people who are going to hate and kill him. It's perfect. You see the love of God in the actions of Abraham. He's a good father. It's not child abuse. I believe Isaac has the ability to run away. I believe he is you know, walking in faith with his father. He doesn't fight. He doesn't try to run. And what happens right as he's about to bring that knife down? Stop. Stop. That's right, Titus. You were with me. Stop. Don't do it. I see now what's going on in your heart. You have faith in God. Or as the, or as the text says, you have faith fear of the Lord. That was the Old Testament phrase for someone who has genuine faith in God because the Holy Spirit didn't permanently indwell people in that age. So fear of God was that term. You walk reverently with God. You're willing to lay your life down to walk with Him. Friends, take a lesson from Abraham. You want to see God work in amazing ways? It's going to take you way outside your comfort zone. You're going to have to sacrifice way more than the unbeliever. The unbeliever can sacrifice a lot trying to build a business and to gain wealth and to get a bigger home, but we sacrifice a lot for God. But this is the life of a believer. Does my life even belong to me to begin with? It does not. And I don't know where this path is going, but I trust him because he always does what's good for me. I've seen it in the past, and I believe it for the future. So even someone like, like a missionary named Jim Elliott, who was killed by, by Indians, the Aka Indians in the jungles of Ecuador. He left the comfort of the United States. He became a, a missionary. He had to learn a foreign language. He spent years trying to reach these people who are unreached for the gospel. 
And when they land on the beach with their airplane, the natives come out and they scare them to death. The world will look at that and say, what a waste. That is a senseless sacrifice. But that's not the end of the story. Jim Elliott wouldn't live to see that, but the story goes that two years later, his wife, Elizabeth, her daughter, Valerie, and another family member of one of the other men that was martyred, moved to that very village. And they loved those people, they forgave those people, and they shared the gospel with them in their language, and that village was radically transformed by the gospel. Revival hit the shores of that jungle but it first started with the lives given by these missionaries. So I don't know what trial you're exactly going through right now, or may maybe I have a, a general idea, but you and the Lord know for sure. Can I just encourage you from the life of Abraham, right when you think this is, this is not going well, God knows exactly what he's doing. Your faith is in the right place. And if you need to, on a piece of paper, take an inventory. What are the things that God has given me? Am I willing to give it all up for him? Because he does provide. He meets every single one of my needs. He takes care of my family. Even if I have to kill my son, he'll bring him back. God will provide. And I'm looking forward to the future with our, our church. Hey, maybe next year, we're ready to go on a mission trip. We want to take the gospel internationally. You think we can't do that? You think God can't provide for that? Are we willing to? If we have a heart for the nations. God will do amazing things through this church family right here. Or maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's finances. That's the last thing I'm ready to give God. I have hardly any money in my bank account. Don't touch my money, God. What if he does? Do you trust that he is good for it in the back end? That to invest in the plan of God is so much better than any investment you make in this earth. Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh Jireh. He provides. And the second thing, I don't have three points today. You should have two, okay? So, so relax. Take a breath. God provides what we need when we need it. Don't you love how his arm is raised up with the knife? And that's when the angel says to stop? Oh my goodness. Couldn't you have stopped me a little bit sooner, God? I mean, you're sovereign. You know what's in my heart. At just the right time. Because, here's the thing. A sacrifice does need to take place. But it's not going to be your son. And, and when, when he says that, stop. Just in the nick of time. He says, I believe, I see your faith, I see your fear in me, Abraham. Because you did not hold back your precious son. Verse 13. Take a look. Abraham looks up. And he sees a ram in the thicket. At just the right time, there just so happens to be a ram stuck there off to the side. Do you love that? What are the odds? What's the timing on that? There's no way Abraham saw that. So you have to have the faith in order to see God do incredible things. But God's provided a substitute. He unties his son. He ties up the ram. He slaughters the ram. The ram is the sacrifice. And here's the cool thing about God's name revealed in this passage. Abraham names it. Abraham verbalizes it. Jehovah Jireh. But that word Jireh, it can mean provide, but it also has the concept of seeing, visualizing, laying eyes on the thing that God has provided. 
So it's it's a play on words here. Abraham looked up and he saw. Has there been a time in your life where you have seen God provide as only God can do? And it's just it's blown you away. He is real. He is active. This thing that I didn't even know I needed, he provided at just the right time. Because when you walk with God by faith, this isn't a blind faith. I, I hope I experience some kind of spiritual experience with God sometime in this life. This is all a big hope and, and, and high in the sky type deal. You will see God provide. You will. It's not everything that you want and in the time that you want it. But God will provide what we need when we need it. He provided a sacrifice to <clears throat> And if Abraham had quit prematurely and walked away from that altar and said, no, I'm not doing it. If he hadn't climbed that mountain, would he have seen God provide that ram? No, that ram was at the top of the mountain. It was stuck in the thicket. It wasn't at the bottom. It was at the top. He sees God provide after he climbs that mountain. And I know how we feel when we go through a trial. We feel like we climbed a mountain and we never reached the top. Sometimes our journey of faith is like that. But friends, if we quit, if we walk away, if we get frustrated with God, you're not good. You don't provide for me. Then you miss the opportunity to see God provide through that seemingly impossible situation. Jehovah Jireh, he provides where there's a need. And this story is one of the most beautiful symbols of the cross. Right? Because Isaac carried the wood up the hill on his back. And this innocent son who did no wrong, he's not getting sacrificed because he disobeyed his dad or anything like that. He's just, he's just a son. Why? You feel these emotions, don't you? As you read through this text, it's not fair. This son should not have to give his life like this. Isn't there another way? And too many people quit on God when they read this text. He's not good. I'm walking away. There's no way that he's as good as he says he is. If he tells you to do that, there's a reason you're supposed to feel that in your heart. Because this is what God did for us. You want to know, what was it like for the father to give his only perfect son to lay down his life for the sins of his enemies? He didn't do anything wrong. Is perfect, sinless, spotless, could have done any number of things, but God chose to save. He's a loving God. That's who he is. He didn't quit. Abraham gives us that taste of what's to come because God said, I don't want your son. We need the best for the sacrifice. We need a sacrifice that's going to cover the sins of the world. For all of eternity. And there's only one lamb that can possibly cover that. I will provide. It's me. I lay down my life. The Father sends the Son. This is our God. He is good. And the fact that we think this passage is unfair is actually a good thing. It's not fair that God gave up his life for me. It's not fair that the precious, perfect Son of God died such a horrible, gruesome death. But when the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4, 4, at just the right time, God sent forth his son. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, while we were still weak, while we were still ungodly, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
you and I don't even think we need a Savior in our hard, sinful, unregenerate hearts that we were born with. I don't need a Savior. What, what, what's my sin? I, that's not a big deal. Why, why does God feel he has the right to judge me? Well, I'm still a sinner. Stuck in my sin. Christ died for us. And God did not spare his own son. He brought his arm all the way down. Jesus felt the full wrath of God, and he breathed his last on the cross. He did not cry out to the angels for help. He did not take himself down off that cross, even though the enemies were taunting him. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. Because I am the Son of God, I stay. Because this is the only way. And Abraham gives a glimpse of that story that's still to come. So this Father's Day, do you see this glimpse into the heart of God, a loving Father? Why do we struggle so much to trust Him? Why do I struggle so much to trust Him with my daily needs? When He's already provided eternity with His own blood. He provides the sacrifice and He provides the blessings even more than we could ask or think. The passage tells us that the angel of the Lord speaks a second time. Because you've done this, because you haven't held back your son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply you. Your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And your offspring, all the nations of the earth, will be blessed because you obeyed my voice. <clears throat> Do you want to see God bless every area of your life? It's in proportion to what we are willing to give him. He blesses us beyond measure, regardless whether we're, we're faithful or not. But Abraham saw these blessings as a confirmation of his faith walk. So right when you feel like quitting and giving up, don't. That's when the blessings come. Can someone exit their life early in this world, taking their own life because they despair and they, they see no future hope and and some people say, oh, well, if someone takes their life, there's no way they're going to heaven. And that's not, that's not in the Bible. Okay? That's, a, that's a strain of teaching that's not accurate. We quit on God all the time, don't we? Someone can even quit on their life. But when you do that, you don't get to see the blessings down the road in this world that God has planned for us. So if you're struggling with something, even mentally or, or you know, worrying if, you're, if your life is even worth living, I want to encourage you. God makes no mistakes. He loves you. He's going to show you great and awesome things as you walk with Him. And the world needs to know that. The darker it gets, the brighter the light needs to shine. And God has called Living Hope Church to be a testimony to the nations. And it's the easiest job in the world. You know what your job is this week? Go tell people what God has done for you. God has already provided. We have a Savior. We have a Redeemer. We have a home in heaven. We have an eternal hope. Now, you just tell somebody. And it's really easy. It can take 15, 20 seconds. Tops. And you know, there once, there once was a time in my life where I felt like I had nothing. I was, I was broke or I was hurting. And someone told me that God loves me. And if I put my faith in him, he'll provide for me. And you know what? He did. He did. He provided in an amazing way. I'd love to tell you more. Have you heard anything about that? Do 
you have a story like that, all you're doing is crossing the bridge from seeing God provide in your life, I'd love to see him provide in your life too. You're not sharing Josh's story. You're not sharing a formula from the Bible. You're sharing your story because that's what your neighbors want to know. How has God provided for you? That is the most powerful way you can share the gospel with others. An act of faith requires, or I'm sorry, an act of faith exhibits God's power to provide. So this morning, as we look at our Jehovah Jireh, John, the God who sees me, the God who knows me, the God who provides for me. What do you need to give to him today to trust your life is on the right hands? Let's pray over that together. Lord, we come to you this morning because life is not easy. And if we're completely honest, it gets even harder when we pick up our cross and we follow Jesus. But Jesus, you lay down your life for us. We'll never forget it. We'll never forget when I was six years old. My father opened up the Bible and he showed me God's love for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whosoever should believe in him will not perish. Just use this guy.